Hello, so welcome to the fourth episode in the Welsh Historian Podcast uh, in the continuing series of Welsh rulers. And today we're going to take a short trip into the life of a man who until recently I'd never heard of. Yet he remains the first, last and only man to have ever been called King of Wales and acknowledged as such by even the King of England. I am referring to Gruffith Ap Llewellyn. Now, the details of the early life of Griffith are relatively sparse, insofar as it can be difficult to find a consistent birth year for him, even. Most sources seem to point to around 1020, but no one can really be sure. Some of the information we have from about, about Griffith comes from the medieval writer Walter Mapp, a man who claimed to have Welsh origins, but was born almost 100 years after the reign of Griffith. Such really is the scarcity of resources for scholars of certain periods of Welsh history. Now, Gruffith was the son of Llewellyn ap Seislaf, a king who had ruled Gwynedd Powys de Hoybarth, uh, and he was the daughter of Angharad and Harad, sorry, Angharad Vech Maredith ap Owen. Angharad's father had been king of Dehibarth too, and his full name was Maredith ap Owen ap so both Gruffith's mother and father had good pedigree and he would have strong claims to the major kingdoms in Wales. Now, in 1023, Llewellyn died and his replacement was a man called Iago ab Idwell ab Moirig, who had also began to assert his authority in Powys. However, Iago's rule was to last only 13 years, as in 1039, Iago was allegedly killed by his own men and his son, Cunan, was forced to flee to Dublin. Although John Davis is less convinced and accused Gruffith of having Iago killed in his history of Wales. A conclusion that I would probably support given Gruffith's character and his ruthless methods. Now, regardless of how or who, the fact remains that Gwynedd was now missing a king. By 1039, Gruffith was already in position, was already in possession of powers and the now leaderless Gwynedd presented an opportunity that Gruffith would not pass up. So by 1039, Gruffith was now king of powers and Gwynedd, and he moved to secure his borders against the threat of the Mercians in the east. In the same year, Gruffith attacked the Mercian army at Rhydigroes, near Trathung, which is Welshpool. His victory was almost total, and he even killed the brother of the Earl of Mercia, a man called Edwin. A comprehensive victory over the Mercians was only spoiled by his inability to seize the Haybath due to the efforts of the two kings, Huol ap Edwin and Gruffith ap Rhyrch of Gwent, who had sought to limit the expansion of Gruffith ap Llewellyn. In fact, Gruffith ap Rhyrch seems to have been a man of some competence in military matters, having been recorded as effectively resisting Viking raids. Yet Rhyrch's luck could not last forever, and in 1055 he was killed by Gruffith ap Llewellyn in battle. 1055 then sees Gruffith ap Llewellyn as the king of Gwynedd, Powys, and now Dybarth. And his next move is to formalise his arrangements with his Mercian neighbours. The son of Leofric and Lady Godiva, Alfgar had been the Earl of East Anglia until his title was removed from him by the efforts of the Godwin family, a family that famously contained Harold Godwinson, future king of England. With the succession of Edward the Confessor in 1042, England suffered from an ineffective central leadership and authority, and Gruffith saw England's weakness as a chance to profit. 
The, Earl of, the Earls of England enjoyed a lot of independence and often acted without royal consent to expand their territories or to thwart the ambition of a rival. Gruffith saw a potential ally in Elfgar, a man who had been disenfranchised by the English state and as the son of Leofric had a real claim to be the Earl of Mercia. In 1055, both Gruffith and Elfgar headed east into the lands of the Earl of Herefordshire, the wonderfully named Ralph the Timid. The two men defeated Ralph's forces in battle and burned and, loot and looted the city of Hereford. Gruffith also used this opportunity to displace many of the Anglo-Saxon settlers in the border regions. Thus did the Welsh repossess Whitford and Hope, Bangoris Coid, Anchirk, Prestain and Radnor, writes John Davis. In response, King Edward the Confessor ordered the mustering of an army to displace the Welsh and Mercian troublemakers, placing Harold Godwinson in charge, but the response was ineffectual. Harold managed to regain Hereford and begin repairing the city, but Gruffith and Elfgar had withdrawn back to Wales. With Harold and William to cross into Wales, and the lands of the Earl of Herefordshire now reoccupied by the Anglo-Saxons, two sides came to terms through diplomacy, which saw Elfgar restored to the earldom of East Anglia. Not long after this, perhaps a year or two later, Gruffith married the daughter of Elfgar, thus cementing their alliance through marriage as well as in combat. Now, returning to events within Wales, you'll remember that Gruffith ap Rydach had been killed and his death in 1055 also meant that the kingdoms of Morganog and Gwent were without strong leadership. The current king of Morganog and Gwent, Cadogan ap Meirig, was dispossessed in 1057 by Gruffith. A year earlier, in 1056, the Bishop of Hereford, Leofgar, had attempted to defeat Gruffith in battle, but like many before him, he lost and was killed. What this now meant was that Gruffith ap Llewellyn was now the undoubted master of the entire territory of Wales as we know it today. Furthermore, he had seen off the challenge of external threats and consolidated his position with a powerful ally in the Mercian fold. The significance of this should not be understated, and it's a huge travesty that his name is not better remembered in the annals of Welsh history. Now, if I can possibly digress slightly, I had often wondered why Wales had never managed to unify, like Scotland, for example. What what made us different? Why between the years, uh, why sorry, within the years of Griffith's reign, did a Welsh kingdom not grasp the imagination of every Welsh man and woman across our land? And, and there never seemed to be a the better chance for me with Griffith at the height of his power and in England for the next 20 years or so, up until 1066 anyway, um, that lacks stability. And I think it's a question really that looms over our our nation and our nationhood even now. Um, and if I can possibly suggest maybe a few answers uh, or, or give some answers that have been suggested as to why this has happened. So really, I, I suppose the, there is one answer perhaps we found within the very spirit of the Welsh and this ultimately leads to a, an uncomfortable conclusion and we discussed the impact of Gavelkind under Hul Thar's law and how that weakened the central authority of the kings and ultimately the human nature element here is that often the descendants of one king didn't enjoy the idea of sharing small, smaller portions of land with their brothers or uncles or cousins for example so much effort money and time was wasted in either fighting to secure their own possessions or attempting to enlarge a smaller kingdom into one still smaller than the one their father ruled over. Additionally, this leads into a point I'll discuss in a short time, that many Welsh kingdoms felt they had the capacity to be the dominant power in Wales, so it was hard to accept the authority of a neighbour 
we all have sort of grown up with the great power struggles between the likes of Gwyneth and Powys, and, and that's what I mean here. The rather uncomfortable conclusion is that at times we undermine our own efforts towards national unity. Of course, one must recognise the influence of external factors. And the second answer to my earlier question will be just that. Wales had for a long time shared a border with an increasingly cohesive and stable neighbour. Not to say England didn't have its fair share of issues, but a sense of nationhood began to grow in England just as it did in Wales. Even for Gruffith, for example, the threat of just one of the Anglo-Saxon earls was serious enough, let alone the King of England, Edward the Confessor. As this state grew, it became more aware of external threats, and there was countless documented evidence of the interference of external factors on the rule of Welsh kings or statesmen, or statesmen, and this desire to divide and conquer was very real and very effective. Sadly, the option to seek the help of the English crown or an English lord was one that was repeatedly exercised by claimants to Welsh states. In short, we must not shy away from the fact that, of course, our politics, society, religion, etc., was willfully meddled with, but also that at times we invited this in. Um, the third answer, or a third suggestion that, that has been proposed, is, that, is the impact of the geography of Wales. And as I briefly mentioned, Wales was perhaps burdened by its number of kingdoms that could make a case for its own hegemony amongst the others. Gwynedd, Powys, Dehebarth, Dyfeth, Morganog, Gwent, all had excellent natural resources in terms of open fertile plains and large rivers. Not one really had the advantage in terms of geography, population and wealth. Now, if you compare this to somewhere like Scotland, where much of the wealth and power led around the twin, the sort of twin rivers of the Tay and the Forth, and thus the kingdoms that grew around them had the power and wealth to bind other Scottish kingdoms to them, no matter how loosely at times that, that was. And that, that simply was a relationship that could not be replicated in Wales just because there was too much shared power. Um, so there for me really is three suggestions perhaps why we never saw a united Kingdom of Wales. Um, and of course, you know, these won't be the only reasons, but they're, for me, are probably the main three reasons. Um, if we can return then to the main topic now, and Gruffith, of Gruffith, absolutely, of course, and Gruffith reached a compromise with Edward, the Confessor, to continue administering his own territories. But the death of Elfgar in 1062 deprived Gruffith of a powerful ally and a counterweight against the Godwinson family. So it was in 1062 that Harold led an attack on Gruffith with the permission of Edward. So overwhelming and unexpected was this attack that Gruffith was almost captured at court in Rutland. However, he managed to flee out to sea. The spring of 1063 saw Harold return with his brother Tostig, leading an army and a fleet. With Gruffith's kingdom, power and armies all now scattered and shattered, he was killed in 1064 by Cunnerup Yargo, son of Yargo ap Idwal ap Meirig, the man Gruffith had killed himself in 1039. Though again, others suggest treachery within his own men. As John Gower writes in the story of Wales, it is unclear who killed him. Some say he was killed by his own men, whilst the Ulster Chronicle suggests it was Cunnerup Yargo, the son of Yarganap Idwal, the leader of Gwynedd put to death by Gruffith in 1039. While the perpetrator's identity is a mystery, the reason for the slaying is perhaps a little clearer. 
it was probably an action that resulted from the festering resentments about the method in which Griffith had united Wales, and one that took advantage of the fact that Harold's attacks had weakened him. His death was announced at the English court by the presentation of his head and a figurehead from his ship. Harold married Griffith's widow, Elgith, difficult one to pronounce it. His kingdom was divided between his paternal half-brother, half-brothers, Blethyn and Rialon, Rualon, Abcunvin. So when Harold died just a few years later, not only was Elgith a, a, a widow once more, but the Normans were confronted with a divided and separated Wales rather than a united one. And who knows what might have been if Griffith had still been King of Wales in 1066. A Griffith Abthwellen for me remains a criminally unknown figure in our nation's past, as demonstrated by those who still falsely believe that Wales never had a king that united the entire country. His legacy of, is one of ruthless brutality and ambition, which for 20 years put him at the head of a nation and made him the first Welsh ruler to be able to directly interfere with English politics since Cadwallon at Cadvan in the early 600s. It is clear that such, such ruthlessness also cost him his life. My personal thoughts on the legacy of Griffith is that his life is, it remains one huge what if. He had the ambition and drive to create a kingdom that was united, and if he had been able to create a legitimate legacy with, with his sons, we may have seen the creation of a kingdom of Wales, just like Scotland, for example. Sadly, his death came just before the invasion by William and the consequences of these events we all know so well. Other appraisals of Griffith were varied. To many in Wales, he was and still is a victorious king, but to others, such as Walter Mapp and Gareth Cumro, Griffith was a tyrant who oppressed Wales and destroyed his rivals. Mapp famously wrote Griffith a, posthum- a posthumous apology a hundred years later. I slay no one, but I dull the horns of the Welsh that may harm their mother. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the potted history of Griffith at Llewellyn with a short discussion on the lack of a Kingdom of Wales. I hope you enjoyed uh, this one as much as I enjoyed writing and recording it, apart from some of the Anglo-Saxon names, which were a bit of a challenge. But anyway, hope you enjoyed it, as I said, and see you again. Hoyle!